Hello and happy Monday, April 15th. It is tax day for those of us here in the U.S. of A. And um, it is day one of The Justice Files. I'm Michael T. Justice and this is The Justice Files. I am... um, Just getting started in earnest on a daily basis, trying to drop some things to you. I got a couple of lists here, and um, I'm going to, uh, you know, I've been kicking around content forever in a day, and have just, uh, it's time to stop playing around with it. So here we go. Um, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time focusing today anyway, on current events and what's going on with the madhouse that is the politics in our country right now. I'm not going to get into all of that. Uh, I'm not going to get into the controversies and uh, and all of that. What I'm going to do is uh, try to, you know, I've been thinking about this forever ad nauseum right but I I have been thinking about this for so long the paralysis of analysis if you will um, and like I said I've got all this all these content ideas that I've been kicking around this would be good for a show this would be good for a show so we're doing it we're doing it I've got my list and I've got that gives me some structure I was listening to uh, I can't remember who it was. Uh, it was a writer uh, that was uh, doing an interview on uh, Larry Wilmore, who used to host the nightly show after the daily show. Um, it has a podcast. I just found it a couple weeks ago and have just kind of been listening to uh, some of the back catalog. And I don't even remember, like I said, who the particular writer was. But they were having a discussion, and they made what I thought was a good point. Um, they were talking about... So, yeah, they were talking about creativity. And uh, one of the comments that uh, the gentleman made was that... For him, creativity needed a structure, right? So, you had to have... Like, okay, I can be creative within these these confines um and i won't go over that whole conversation or whatever because i don't remember all of it but here was the gist of what i took away from it and how i'm going to use that and uh, how i'm starting today right is um you know like i said i've got a list of uh what i had been trying to come up with some fancy name for it and i'm just i'm just not gonna do that i'm just gonna these are some people you need to know um, and I've got those folks listed down. And I've got some songs, again, a list of some different songs that I think people need to know the words. Because, you know, about a year ago, I had an episode where I made a comment uh, where I said that, um, you know, we missed the point 
because I was listening to some song and I don't even remember which song it was at the time. Uh, but it, it seems like songs are a way, you know, obviously you've had songs. I'm sure that every one of you has had a song uh, or many songs that really, really spoke to you. Uh, but so often you might try and turn that over to somebody. And as an example, uh, there was a, a song that um, that people, well, several songs, but I'm just thinking of one song that this guy was trying to tell me was very um, deep and had some really meaningful uh, lyrics and everything, and I should check it out. And I tried to check it out, but it was some heavy, heavy metal, and I just could not get into it and so it made it hard for me to get the lyrics so I'm gonna do a thing called speakyoke and I'm going to uh, share some uh, lyrics um, uh, from my list and um, hopefully it will be something that's helpful to you uh, because my idea my purpose here in this space uh, I hear a lot of people talking about the frequency you know putting this out this or that out into the frequency uh, and, and it resonating with the universe and I agree with a lot of how they're trying to put it in a, and, and I, I guess what I'm trying to do or the way I'm looking at it is that we are at a point where we have a we we are uniquely in charge of our own evolution right now or not in charge but we we know what's going on now Right after thousands of years, as human species, we've we're starting to get an idea of like you know, and, and this is a lot of different stuff that that you can look some of this stuff up. But epigenetics and and um, you know, we we understand how what we do affects our existence. And then we can see the effects of that on the next level, right? Um, and I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know, I'm kind of stammering here. And so I'll just get better because, like I said, this is number one. We'll keep it going. Um, but my goal is to keep this at a half hour. So I'm going to get it wrapped up, get this part wrapped up, and then get into... Uh, introducing you to some people that you may want to know or that you should know. I think you should know, and into then to some uh, lyrics. Uh, because what? Let me just say what I was trying to say, and, and instead of repeating other people's thoughts or whatever. And here's my here's my take on it. Right, is that we're at this point where we can, I'll say, program, like. Like, we're all able to put this stuff out into the universe 
and this is just my little space to do some programming and there's a lot of stuff that gets lost in history a lot of stuff that gets lost you know like I was talking about these lyrics and things like that that, that you don't get because you didn't get it you know what I mean you didn't like the country music beat or you don't like hip hop or you don't like heavy metal and so you don't hear what those people are trying to say and what they're trying to say may be very very helpful to you and to humanity uh, and the effects that they have on you. Uh, I definitely believe that um, there's a lot of negativity that's out there that gets spread and spread and and, and uh, amplified. So this is just my little place to do something better for humanity. So that's what I'm going to try to do. Um, if you catch me slipping and getting into the negativity, please feel free to hit me up, Michael T. Justice, uh, at AOL. I don't read my email, so don't do that. Uh, but you can hit me on Twitter at Michael T. Justice, although I'm very seriously considering just dropping Twitter altogether because, again, the negativity of it all. But you can hit me there. Uh, at Michael T. Justice and uh, Facebook although everybody's bagging on Facebook right now it's the one place where I do feel like I have been able to or I think right now anyway can kind of keep it positive um, so hit me there I am uh, Michael T. Justice on Facebook as well and um, I thank you for listening to me uh, and we will get this popping, get it started, and uh, hopefully it'll get better and I don't want to say more formulaic, but more professional, more something. I got a lot of ideas of what I want to do, and uh, like I said, I've been hampered by the paralysis of analysis, so I am stopping that right now. And without further ado, let me move into these two uh, little segments that I got for you. Okay, so today I want to talk to you about someone named Robert Smalls. And this is uh, a lot of information coming uh, mainly today from AmericanCivilWarStory.com. So check that out and uh, here's some information you'll find. On May 13, 1862, the Confederate steamboat planter, the special dispatch boat of General Rip, the steamboat's name was Planter, the special dispatch boat of General Ripley, the Confederate post commander at Charleston, South Carolina, was taken by Robert Smalls from the wharf at which she was lying, carried safely out of Charleston Harbor, and delivered to one of the vessels of the Federal fleet, then blockading that port. Thus begins report number. 1887 of the Committee on Naval Affairs filed during the second season of the 47th Congress of the United States second session this introduction only hints at the daring nature of what Robert Smalls pulled off during the early hours of that May morning in 1862 to get a better idea of what took place let's take let's back up and take a look at who Robert Smalls was Smalls was born a slave in April of 1839 when he was 12, his master, Henry McKee, 
started hiring him out as a tradesman in Charleston. He started out working in a hotel. Later, he got a job as a lamplighter for the city. Finally, he began working on the docks and discovered a love of the sea. In 1861, at the beginning of the war, Robert Small was assigned as wheelman aboard the Confederate gunboat Planter. In this role, he piloted the Planter under the command of a white captain and two other white officers around the harbor, helping to lay mines and other obstructions in order to defend the city against attack from the blockading Union fleet. During this time, Robert had gotten married in 1856 to Hannah Jones, and they had two children. Um, and the children were owned by different. Uh, the wife and children were owned by a different master. And even though he was trying to save up money, oh, sorry. Even though he was trying to save up money, the situation seemed hopeless. Save up money to buy their freedom until he had an idea. Who knew Charleston Harbor better than him? Who could sell the planner better than him? Few, if any, was the answer to both of those questions. So Robert, just 23 years old at the time, began plotting with other members of the planner's crew, all of whom were slaves, how they might sell the planter to freedom. They soon had a plan in place, and on the night of May 12, 1862, Robert decided to put it into action. The Committee on Naval Affairs has this. That night, all the officers went ashore and slept in the city, leaving on board a crew of eight men, all colored. Among them was Robert Smalls, who was virtually the pilot of the boat. Although he was only called a wheelman because at the time no colored man could have, in fact, made, been made a pilot. For some time previous, he had been watching for an opportunity to carry into execution a plan he had conceived to take the planner to the Federal Fleet. This, he saw, was about as good a chance as he would ever have to do so. Therefore, he determined not to lose it. Consulting with the balance of the crew, Smalls found that they were willing to cooperate with him, although two of them afterwards concluded to remain behind. The design was hazardous in the extreme. The boat would have to pass beneath the guns of the forts in the harbor. Failure and detection would have been certain death. Fearful was the venture, but it was made. The daring resolution had been formed, and under command of Robert Smalls, Wood was taken aboard. Steam was put on, and with her valuable cargo of guns and ammunition intended for Fort Ripley, a new fortification just constructed in the harbor, about two o'clock in the morning, the planter silently moved off from her dock, steamed up to North Atlantic Wharf, where Small's wife and two children, together with four other women and one other child, and also three men, were waiting to embark. All these were taken on board. And then, at 3.25, May 13th, the planner started on a perilous adventure, carrying nine men, five women, and three children. With everyone on board, Smalls turned the planner out to sea towards the blockading Union fleet. They now faced the danger of sailing directly beneath deadly guns of the Charleston Harbor. Here's more from the report. 
Passing Fort Johnson, the planter's steam whistle blew the usual salute, and she proceeded down the bay. Approaching Fort Sumter, Small stood in the pilot house leaning out of the window with his arms folded across his breast, after the manner of Captain Relia, the planter's actual captain. The commander of the boat, and his head covered with the huge straw hat which Captain Relia commonly wore on such occasions. The signal required to be given by all steamers passing out was blown as coolly as if General Ripley, the commander of Charleston's defenses, was on board. Going out on a tour of inspection, Sumter, Sumter answered by a signal. All right, and the planter headed toward Morris Island, then occupied by Hatch's light artillery, and passed beyond the range of Sumter's guns before anybody suspected anything was wrong. As the planter approached the Federal fleet, a white flag was displayed, but this was not at first discovered, and the Federal steamers, supposing the Confederate rams were co coming to attack them, stood out to deep water. But the ship onward, Captain Nichols, which was not a steamer, remained open, remained, opened her ports, and was about to fire into the planter when she noticed the flag of truce. As soon as the vessels came within hailing distance of each other, the planter's errand was explained. Captain Nichols then boarded her, and Smalls delivered the planter to him. The planter, with Smalls and her crew, were sent to Port Royal to Rear Admiral DuPont, then in command of the Southern Squadron. After he got the boat out, he, uh, Robert Smalls went to work in service of the Union, he was hired to pilot Union vessels in the coastal waters of South Carolina and Georgia. In this capacity, he actively pursued his duty, as the report goes on to tell us. Captain Smalls was soon afterwards ordered to Adisto to join the gunboat crusader, Captain Rind. He then proceeded in the crusader, piloting her and followed by the planter to Simus Bluff on Wadmala Sound, where a sharp battle was fought between these boats and a Confederate light battery and some infantry. The Confederates were driven out of their works, and the troops on the planter landed and captured all the tents and provisions of the enemy. This occurred sometime in June 1862, so just a couple months later, he's back in action. Captain Smalls continued to act as pilot on board the planter and the Crusader, and as blockading pilot between Charleston and, and Beaufort. He made repeated trips up and along the rivers near the coast, pointing out and removing the torpedoes, which he himself had assisted in sinking and putting in position as mines. During these trips, he was present in several fights at Adams Run on the Dawo River, where the planter was hotly and severely fired upon, also at Rockville, Johns Island, and other places. Afterwards, he was ordered back to Port Royal, whence he piloted the fleet up Broad River to Pocatalligo, where a very severe battle ensued. Captain Smalls was a pilot on the monitor Keokuk, Captain Ryan, in the memorable attack on Fort Sumter. On the afternoon of the 7th of April, 1863, in this attack, the Keokuk was struck 96 times, 19 shots passing through her. She retired from the engagement only to sink on the next morning near Lighthouse Inlet. Captain Smalls left her just before she went down. When General Gilmore took command, Smalls became pilot in the quartermaster's department in the expedition on Morris Island. He was then stationed as pilot of the Stono, where he remained until the United States troops took possession of the south end of Morris Island, 
when he was put in charge of Lighthouse Inlet as pilot. Black men were not given command of Union boats, so Robert Smalls always worked as the pilot under the command of a white captain. In late 1863, that state of affairs was changed. Upon one occasion in December 1863, while the planter, then under Captain Nickerson, was sailing through Folly Island, the Confederate batteries at Secessionville opened a very hot fire upon her. Captain Nickerson became demoralized and left the pilot house and secured himself in the coal bunker. Smalls was on the deck and finding out that the captain had deserted his post, entered the pilot house, took command of the boat, and carried her safely out of the reach of the guns. For this conduct, he was promoted by order of General Gilmore, commanding the, the Department of the South, to the rank of captain, and was ordered to act as captain of the planter, which was used as a supply boat along the coast until the end of the war. After the war, Robert Smalls was given a prize share of $1,500, roughly $34,000 in today's money, for the capture of the planter, but that was hardly a fair prize for the value of his capture. The value of the U.S. government gave to the planter when Robert's prize was awarded was $9,000, roughly $204,000 in today. The Committee on Naval Affairs reported discussed the injustice of the award given for the capture of the Confederate gunboat. In the report, it was stated that actual value of the planter was between sixty and $70,000, roughly $1.5 million in today's money. Despite the committee's recommendation, Robert was never given any additional reward for his action, and the report summed it up this way. It is a severe comment on the justice as well as the boasted generosity of the government that whilst it had received sixty to seventy thousand dollars worth of property at the hands of Captain Smalls, it has paid him the trifling amount of one thousand five hundred, and for twenty years his gallant, daring, and distinguished and valuable services which he has rendered to the country have been wholly unrecognized. This injustice did not hold back Robert Smalls. After the war, he lived in South Carolina where he served in the State House of Representatives, 1868 to 1870, State Senate, 1870 to 74, and U.S. House of Representatives, 1875 to 79, again 82 to 83, and 84 to 87. He remained a leader in his community right up until his death in 1915 at the age of 75. Without a doubt, Robert Smalls was a true Civil War hero, and I think his story is still one of the best stories of the war. And I, Michael T. Justice, would agree with that. And this has been Robert Smalls, and again, I want to thank uh, the website American Civil War Story. Um, it's AmericanCivilWarStory.com, and actually, uh, it's a book um, that has a lot of stories and you can get that book on that website so I would definitely uh, encourage you to check that out AmericanCivilWarStory.com I am in no way being paid by them but I just want you to know about it
Sometimes I feel the fear of uncertainty stinging clear. And I, I can't help but ask myself how much I'll let the fear take the wheel and steer. It's driven me before and it seems to have a vague, haunting mass appeal. But lately, I'm beginning to find that I should be the one behind the wheel. Whatever tomorrow brings, I'll be there with open arms and open eyes. Whatever tomorrow brings, I'll be there. I'll be there. So if I decide to waver my chance to be one of the hive, will I choose water over wine and hold my own and drive? It's driven me before, and it seems to be the way that everyone else gets around. But lately, I'm beginning to find that when I drive myself, my light is found. From whatever tomorrow brings, I'll be there with open arms and open eyes. Whatever tomorrow brings, I'll be there. Would you choose water over wine? Hold the wheel and drive. Whatever tomorrow brings, I'll be there with open arms and open eyes. Whatever tomorrow brings, I will be there. I'll be there. Michael, hello, it's Maria from Strong Body, Strong Soul. I haven't talked to you in so long. I just thought I would stop by and check and see what you are up to. And you're talking about music right now. You're talking about the lyrics. You're talking about the heavy metal that you just couldn't get into. And you know what I do sometimes is I read lyrics into my show sometimes. It's poetry. It's poetry. It almost doesn't matter who the musician is. It's a the words themselves can take on a different meaning 
when they're read in a different format, right? Metallica, I've read into my show. Billy Squire. Oh, yeah. All sorts of fun stuff. But once in a while, I do that. And I'm also loving what you're talking about. Yes, we're in control of our own destiny so much. My son was just saying the other day, you know, I have a 16-year-old too. And he was saying, we die from old age or stupidity anymore. (laughs) 